Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Q is about conversation. If we're really concerned about ending poverty, we've got to be more concerned about creating justice. Our cultural products as Christians need to both defy and resonate with the culture. God's doing amazing things. His church is expanding. His church is growing. It's not what's the purpose of my life. It's what is the purpose that's been assigned. Stay curious. Think well. Advance good. This is Q. Every other culture always thought the truth was something outside me. It could be family, God, dying for my country. To be a person of honor and worth and authenticity, you had to find that truth and align your, your feelings with the truth. Now, the understanding is truth is inside you. You go inside to find the great depths. And then you come out and you tell everybody else that you have to now accommodate me. What that means is we're the first culture, not only that doesn't believe there's a truth out here, that it's all subjective, but also it's the first culture that doesn't just think Christians are wrong, but that they're the problem. Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons on Faith Radio. I'm Paul Perot with Gabe, and this week, prepare to have your mind blown. I got to say this because, you know, as we sit down and think about how we as Christians should ground ourselves in God's truth while simultaneously engaging in the culture around us, we need to understand where our culture is and where God has called us to be. And, And for that, today, Gabe, you have an amazing conversation with pastor and author Tim Keller. Let me just tell you, you are in for such a treat, and I hope you're in a place where when you listen to what you're about to hear, you can take notes, you can possibly go back and listen to it again. You're going to want to share this episode with your friends. You're going to want to share it with those that you are in fellowship with and that you are processing the moment we're in, the climate, the context. Tim Keller has meant so much to so many of us over the years. I know my own experience with Tim living in New York City. He was one of the first people that I just felt such resonance with. And I know this is a story that just thousands of people have who really appreciated our culture and the way in which it operates, but also biblically faithful. And in that relationship we developed and in our time living in New York City, uh, he just became more and more of a friend and a mentor. And I know his books have mentored so many of us, uh, but and, and many of us have heard the sad news that he was diagnosed with cancer recently and is walking through that now. Uh, but I just want you to know, man, what you're going to hear over these 18 minutes is a conversation I got to have with Tim where we talked through the current cultural moment. And It's worth like three hours of time to listen to these 20 minutes for what I think you're going to glean from it. And so I want to encourage you to take a moment. If you're not in a good place, we're just driving, maybe listen to it now, but come back. You're going to want to refer back to so much of what's said here as we start to understand something very important. And I'd say prophetic uh, in this talk called Truth Beyond Emotions. Uh, We wanted to delve into how do we know truth and how are we thinking about the next generation and the ways in which they know truth and what do we learn from the early church about the role in which we were playing as countercultures in societies where we were a minority group. And I just think all of it's going to be encouraging to you. And so I'm excited for you to get to hear it. So I don't want to waste another second. Let's listen now to my conversation with Tim Keller. Yes, let's. I'm excited to have with us from New York City, Tim Keller. Tim Keller has been, I know, a voice and a mentor to so many of us through his books and his writings, so many of his wonderful sermons and talks that over the last 30 years has influenced 
the church in the West. Deep thinking about where we sit in our cultural context, a faithfulness to scripture and to trust in God and his words that they show up in this time and place as strongly as they did in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so we appreciate how much he has been a champion of what's both true and faithful and also contextualized so that a watching world, a listening world, a world who's concerned with Christians and not necessarily attracted to Christianity would maybe take another look and maybe listen closely because they understand that the ideas that Christians are putting forward actually can make sense. They can lead to a flourishing life. Tim, thank you so much for being with us. I know you're in your apartment in New York City, and uh, we appreciate you taking the time this morning to be with us. Hello. So talk to us a little bit about New York City. I know there's a lot of people listening from all over the world who are concerned about New York. They know in in at least American life, this has been ground zero yet again for another crisis. And you've lived through 9-11 crisis. You're now going through this one. Describe for us, uh, have you ever seen a time like this in New York? Well, the pandemic is more like, I would say it's more like 9-11 than unlike. Uh, but I, it's it's both like and unlike. So it's like in this way, first of all, and don't forget, 9-11 was concentrated in New York. In other words, we experienced it in New York more than anyone else. And even though it's true that this is the epicenter for the, the pandemic, nevertheless, people are being locked down everywhere. So that's one of the big differences. Also, in the what happened at Redeemer, for example, uh, 2,800 people came to worship the Sunday before 9-11, 5,200 people came to worship the Sunday after 9-11. So people came together. They were rushing together, and lots of people just wanted to come to church. And it's exactly the opposite. And yet, I would say that the, uh, the similarities are more than the differences. Yeah. So I'll, give you, I'll just give you a couple of similarities. One is they're both unprecedented. See, in other words, in both cases, the church and, and the leaders of the city had no real tracks to you really didn't have a game plan. It's like, this has never happened before. Now what? So it's unprecedented. You have to think outside the box. Uh, secondly, the, the, the damage was multidimensional. Right now, the damage is at least it's medical and physical. So you have people dying and sick. And then secondly, it's economic. Everybody talks about that. But it's social. Uh, the people behind are further behind. Uh, the kids in the good private schools, they're, they're studying online and they're going to graduate. And the kids in the public schools are not, and they're going to lose a year. And they were already behind. And, and that's just the beginning of it. It's the, it's the areas of uh, the, the working class and the poor areas of the city are much harder hit in every way. And so there's just a, it's growing social inequality. So it's multidimensional. It's yeah. social, economic. Uh, the other thing, by the way, is there is another similarity is do you stay in, in the city? Because after 9-11, a lot of people left. They said it's too dangerous here. And the same thing's happening now. So. Uh, and there's no better book, by the way, there's no better place to go than uh, Martin Luther's article, his letter, uh, Whether One May Flee from a Deadly Plague. You can find that all over the Internet. Yeah. It's incredibly balanced. Yeah. He basically says, should you flee in order to be safe? Should you just leave the city and get out of the city? And the answer is depends. Yes or no. And he's very, very balanced. Do you have the very same thing? But here's the last thing is that almost all churches anyway, Christian institutions, are going to be faced with needing to do more with less. So I, just to put numbers on it, after 9-11, Redeemer had 25% more people and 25% less income. And so I had the number of people, the needs were, were massively expanded. And, it, and yet, because people lost their jobs and they left the city and all that, the income was having a huge shortfall. And I, exactly the same thing. All the churches I know are saying, we have to do more with less. 
We have far more needs and we have less resources to do it. And so it means a major, it means not only a new approach to stewardship, but also thinking about what you spend your money on. Yeah. So it's good. It's more like, it's more like it than not. Yeah. Frankly. Yeah. Thank you for that comparison. Really, really helpful. I want to pull back. We only have 18 minutes together. So I want to pull back from the global pandemic and I want to talk about some things you've been writing and I think leading the church to think more deeply about over these last couple of years. And that is kind of our cultural moment and some of the shifts that have been happening again, pre-pandemic, where we had entered a post-Christian society. We are in a new moment where people are thinking about truth a lot differently. They're skeptical of truth. They don't trust authority or institutions as much. Could you describe just the context that we're in and that likely even after this pandemic will emerge out of maybe some of that shifts a little bit. Maybe there's a new openness, but some of that is just so ingrained in us that it's just part of the new culture. So describe for people how people are thinking about truth these days, why they're skeptical. Well, first of all, I doubt I must say, after 9-11, Gabe, everybody also said the same thing. They said, uh, we're going to pull together and the postmodern cynicism about truth is going to go away. You know, it's, 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 we can't laugh at truth. We can't say evil is a social construct. No, no, we're all going to change. That lasted about a month. I, I, I think I don't see the culture trends changing. So what are the culture trends is what you're asking. Uh, roughly speaking, every other culture always thought the truth was something outside me. It could be family, God, dying for my country. To be a person of honor and worth and authenticity, you had to find that truth and align your, your feelings with the truth. Now, the understanding is truth is inside you. You go inside to find the, the, the great depths. Uh, and then you come out and you tell everybody else that you have to now accommodate me. And wh- what that means is we're the first culture, not only that doesn't believe there's a truth out here, that it's all subjective, but also it's the first culture that doesn't just think Christians are wrong, but that they're the problem. Because actually, post-Christian culture is based on liberation from Christianity. So if you so if you go to China or Africa, and you're talking to animists or Confucianists, people like that, uh, they may think you're wrong. They may even want to kill you because they feel like you're imperialistic. But uh, modern secular people actually would say the thing we need to be saved from is the idea we need to be saved. Mm. The thing we need redemption from is the idea we need redemption. And the only sin is to tell people that they sin, which means the only way to be free is actually to liberate yourself from Christianity, which means our modern secular culture is not just post-Christian. In some ways, it's actually very Christian because it has all the same Christian values, but it wants them without God. Mm-hmm. But it needs to change Christians. In other words, it has to target us. We really can't be there because we're, we're the problem. Right. It, so it's, it basically, it's evangelizing us. Maybe I shouldn't say this. It says it's the only, they're trying to convert us into being secularists. And it's extremely important that we convert. And I think your point that people are seeking to know the truth by looking inside themselves and whatever they're feeling, they believe that's the most authoritative and true uh, thing about the world. And then we all have to subject ourselves to those feelings. We're, we're seeing that play out big time in this culture with what we can say, how we respond to people, the way in which if you hold an opinion that says there's an authority outside of ourselves that we're going to align our lives to as Christians, that God's already set up a moral truth. And we need to find that and we need to live into that. You know, you are looked at as a problem in this society. I want to jump to though our children, because as you said, our children are growing up in this environment. This is the air that they're breathing. I have four children, three teenagers. I, I know very well how much they take in of this oxygen. And you use this term, 
that were being catechized by secularism. And can you describe a little bit more about what what is secularism and yeah. what, what do you mean by that? Well, um, you know, Charles Taylor, great philosopher Charles Taylor, says that that secularism moves forward not with argument, but with saying things that are axiomatically taken as as just truth. So, for example, he would say he, he calls them closed world structures, but I'll just call them the I, I call them narratives. The identity narrative is you've got to be true to yourself. You have to look inside, see who you are and be true to yourself. The happiness narrative is you must never sacrifice your happiness for anybody else. You must never in the end, you know, you, you, you can't sacrifice your happiness to help other people. Uh, freedom narrative is that the only thing that's as long as I'm not harming somebody, I should be absolutely free to live my life the way I should value free. Or is just as long as I don't harm people, I should be free. Uh, the truth narrative is that all truth claims are socially constructed, and yet we should work. And yet, science is our salvation. the The morality claim is that all morality is socially constructed, and yet we need to work for justice. Now, Charles Taylor says these these claims are not. He says they're not they're not arguments. In fact, they're kind of incoherent, but they're put out there as religious. Uh, faith assumptions. And because of the social media, they're, they're put on you as givens and only evil people disagree with them. And in that sense, they're very, they're very religious because they're based on faith. They, there's no real rational argument for them. Uh, they, they have to be taken on faith. To some degree, they're incoherent. And yet if you deny them, you're, you, you know, you're, you're vilified. That's a catechism. But the difference is, Gabe, we don't have as much control over what our kids hear now. You realize that even my sons, my sons, if you want to talk to my sons, you had to call them on the phone yeah. or write a letter. And I knew it was coming into them. And now it's just not there. And, and social media takes those catechisms. You know, uh, what does it mean to be a self? You know, what does it mean to be free? What does it mean to be happy? And it goes after your kids. Yeah. And it, it, so basically they are getting catechized. And if you just take them to church and to Sunday school, or to youth group, that's nothing compared to what you're getting. Well, I know you've referenced this term by Alan Jacobs called a counter catechesis, and that that's a way we should be thinking as Christians about how do we disciple our children. Can you describe more what you mean by that? What I got from Alan was, if you look at the Protestant um, catechisms, the, the, the ones we have, the Westminster and the Heidelberg and all that, they just say very little about the Trinity. They'll say it, there's God's a Trinity, or the deity of Christ, but they go on in great length to justification or sacraments. And the reason is because the only alternative to being a Protestant was to be a Catholic in those days. And so the catechism was not just, here's what the Bible says. The catechism was, was expounding biblical doctrine in such a way as it inoculated you to being a Catholic. Mm. All of our catechisms now and all of our biblical doctrine, actually, you're just putting stuff out there. You're saying uh, God is triune, Jesus is the Son of God. But you're not actually connecting it to these narratives I just mentioned. So you're not inoculating your kids to it. Uh, In other words, uh, when Jesus says you have to lose yourself to find yourself, you have to take up your cross and follow me. You have to lose yourself to find yourself. That directly goes against the identity narrative. That should be at the very heart of of the way in which we do our doctrine. But it's not. In other words, we, we are actually not teaching our kids in a way that we are helping them analyze the culture. We're giving them this sort of abstract kinds of doctrine that was formulated three or 400 years ago. I'm still saying, I wouldn't change the doctrine. The Bible's the Bible. It's all the same doctrine, but how you present it has got to change. Otherwise, we're not really inoculating our kids to the culture. We're not forming them as Christians. Now, I know you are a gifted evangelist. You're passionate about helping people who don't know God, have maybe not considered God, 
or the truth of scripture in their life, you want to reach them. And you've done such an incredible job. So many of your books have helped that and have helped compel people to maybe give a second look at Christianity when they had maybe written it off as not an option for their life. What opportunities as you're speaking to Christian leaders here around the world are being presented for evangelism to go forward in the midst of this pandemic. And would you put some courage in us? Because I I find sometimes we've gotten so comfortable in some of these environments, especially American culture, assuming everybody just knows what Christians believe and how this operates, that sometimes we shy away from presenting the gospel. What what would you say to us to encourage us in our evangelism efforts? Well, I do know that there's a there's a window in which people are more anxious because they're because their confidence in science and technology. And, uh, you know, there's a, it, it, you might say this, this, the smug smile that says, Hey, we can handle everything because as long as you are savvy and we use our technology and science. So that human pride has been rattled. There are people more anxious. I know every time there was a recession in New York or after nine 11, there was about 10 or 20% more people willing to listen to a gospel presentation. That's all it's, it's, it's temporary. It goes away frankly, with good, with good times, and when, they, when the good times come back. But you actually do have about 10 or 20% more ears. Mm. And so you just really need to be more confident to get out there and say things. You really should. Yeah. As far as the, as far as the culture changing, no, we're still going to have to find new ways of formulating uh, Christian truth in a way that, that both connects to the culture but doesn't compromise with it. That's another subject. Yeah. But for the time being, I, I, there's people at Redeemer right now that became Christians right after 9-11 because they showed up in church because they were scared and they just felt like they needed a connection. And there's people like that now. Yeah. So there's a probably a 10 or 20 percent of those folks out there are going to really listen to gospel presentation. It wouldn't have before the pandemic. You've also referenced the early church social project as maybe something we should be taking a, a fresh look at again and in how the early church operated in a culture where it was a minority. It didn't have power. It was maybe looked upon with lots of disdain by the current leaders and authorities in that time. And yet it moves forward, you know, in the first century, second century. Could you describe for us what was the, what were some of the elements of that early social project that we should maybe rethink and recapture? Yeah, well, no, there's there there were uh, I got this from Larry Hurtado's book um, on destroyer of the gods. Just just a, a site is the early Christians. Their their social project, meaning their community, was marked by five things. Think about them. It was multi ethnic, which was it was, and he makes the case it was really the first multi ethnic religion. So it was very big on racial justice and and uh, racial uh, equality. It was also very oriented to the poor, very much caring for the poor. So let's call that econ, uh, economic justice, racial justice, economic justice. Thirdly, it was um, conciliatory. That is, if you if you kill the Christian, they didn't come and kill you. Uh, so it was bridge building, forgiving, willing to talk. Uh, fourth, it was pro-life. I put it this way. Uh, it was against infanticide and abortion. And they would go take babies who were thrown out and they would come bring them back and adopt them. And lastly, it believed that sex was only between a man and a woman in marriage. So it was a sexual counterculture. It was pro-life. It was civil and uh, open to peacemaking and bridge building. It was for economic justice and racial justice. Now, look at those five things. It was category defying now, and it is now then. The first two, race and economic justice, sounds Democrat. The last two, uh, pro-life and um, traditional sexuality, sounds Republican. And the middle one, civility, doesn't sound like either Democrats or Republicans right now. And if you if you look at those five things, that just breaks the categories. 
Yeah. And right now, the big danger is that Republican-leading conservative-type evangelicals put a lot of emphasis on the pro-life and the uh, and traditional sexuality, and they're afraid of talking too much about the trouble of racism and the problems of poverty and inequality because it sounds too liberal. So they're actually being seduced by the culture to back away from things that were traditionally a biblical uh, emphasis. And the same thing the other way around. You've got a blue evangelicalism and a red evangelicalism. A lot of younger evangelicals want to talk about race and justice all the time, but they're afraid of talking about abortion, homosexuality, because they don't want to look like bigots. The reality is the, the Bible does not fit into our our partisan divisions. Yeah, that's a great point and a good word for a year where we have an election and there'll be a lot of conversations about who to support, where to where should Christians be thinking? We'll be talking about that later this morning. One final thought, uh, Tim, as we wrap up, uh, you're talking to Christian leaders again around the world who are concerned with this next season and wanting to be faithful and wanting to uh, be good stewards of what God's given to them. Would you just encourage us as we move into the season ahead into how we can approach this uh, next year coming out of a lot of change, a lot of trauma for people, a lot of new questions being asked. How would you encourage these leaders uh, as they move into a season where things might start to open up again? We might start to have some new conversations. Uh, What would you say to us? Yeah, actually you're right in saying that uh, between the lockdown and the vaccine being available to anybody who wants it is going to be an interim period. And I don't know what it looks like. All I can tell you is it'll, it'll take two things. It will take innovative thinking. Uh, it's only possible to tell what it's going to be. You don't know what the governments are going to do. You don't know how fast the medical uh, advances are going to be. It, it, so it's, you really are going to have to be constantly talking to each other. I don't know about you, but I don't ha- get my best ideas just sitting in a room. There's got to be more networking and talking to be innovative. The second thing is you have to le- you always lead through sacrifice. I don't know what, don't ask me for examples, because I'm saying it's going to take, to me, the church in general is going to have to spend more, less money on itself, that is, its own programs, and more money on the people of need. And the only way to do that is is going to be cut things that you're doing right now. Does it mean sacrificing part of your salary as a way of making sure that you're able to meet needs in your community? I don't know, but leadership happens through innovation and sacrifice always. Yeah. And that uh, you we're going to have to do both of these in the next year or two. Well, Tim, we just thank you for your faithful leadership, for how you have pastored so many of us, even from New York, and cared for us and helped us in our thinking. And it adds a great deal to us to start off day two here at Q with that perspective as we move throughout our conversation today. So thank you. Well, thanks again for listening to this week's Q Ideas with Gabe Lines, And that was Gabe talking with Tim Keller, a conversation from this past spring's Q 2020 virtual conference, the audio of which is available as a subscriber to the Q media platform at QIdeas.org. Gabe, I was trying to take notes. There was so much Tim covered. I mean, when he talked about needing a modern way of catechizing ourselves and our children to really understand what's behind the questions that people have now and the gospel's answers to them. It was really an aha moment. How about you? I think what really stood out to me is just towards the close of this conversation where he says leadership happens through innovation and sacrifice always. 
What an important point for us to just take back, for us to reflect on, to consider what does that mean in our own lives, sacrifice and innovation, um, that these are the ways the world changes. It's the way we lead. It's the way we have influence. And what does that mean for each of us? Well, I hope if this is encouraging to you, you can share it with others. Leave a review as well for the Q podcast and share it with others in your community who are looking for how do we thoughtfully engage this cultural moment? That's what Q exists to do. It's to help you as a leader, to help you as somebody maybe leading your family, whatever industry you might be in, to just be thinking well but also remaining faithful. We don't need to abandon Scripture. We don't need to move away from truth, as Tim says, in order to engage this world. In fact, when we move closer to it, we'll have answers that far outweigh the answers that our culture generally can give. And so I want to encourage you to go deeper in this. And if you enjoyed this talk, this was just one of 40 other talks that were part of our Q2020 virtual summit. And so you can watch this talk. You can hear other talks from people like Priscilla Shire and Voskamp, Francis Chan, David Kinnaman, so many more that were meant to just help give us a sense of how to navigate faithfully the season ahead. And I'll tell you, if you haven't heard those talks together, it's a, it's a wonderful thing, an important thing I would suggest to do with your family. If you have teenagers and children or your spouse, these are great nine-minute talks, 18-minute talks that stir perfect conversation for the season that we're in. And I think we'll encourage you and we'll lead you towards hope. I know I was deeply encouraged by how all of these talks, it felt the Holy Spirit just helped move these talks together to where they formed a sense of alignment where everything was complementing one another. And there was a real sense that the church of Jesus Christ is alive and well. It might be going through some changes right now, just as our world is, but that it's resilient. And when we focus on what really matters, when we focus on what's true, it stands the test of time. And so I'd encourage you to learn more about that. You can see more about how to subscribe to Q Media, where you can actually watch this talk with Tim. Maybe you have a small group and you want to watch this talk with a group of people and have a conversation. This and hundreds of other talks that are organized so simply for you to be able to pull the up, whether it's related to COVID-19 or mental health or sexuality or faith and work, any of these topics, we've organized it so simply you can go in, watch this with your friends, have conversations, learn together, challenge one another, and you can do all that through our Q Media platform. So learn more about that at media.qideas.org. I hope you'll take advantage of that, share this with your friends, and we'll look forward to our conversation next week. Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons is made possible in partnership with Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Thanks again for listening. Thank you for listening to the Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make your gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or on your podcast player. And thank you for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons.